Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Raj Punjabi, Head of Identity Content at HuffPost. And I'm Noah Michelson, Head of HuffPost Personal. Welcome to Am I Doing It Wrong? The show that explores the all-too-human anxieties we have about trying to get our lives right. Okay, Noah, it is the deep darkness of winter. It is. I have to ask, do you experience seasonal affective disorder? You know what? I'm not sure that I do. I don't typically think of myself as being more depressed or anxious in winter. But I also have always been pretty emo. Mm -hmm. Love that about (laughs) you. So I kind of have always been like one of those people that's like, oh, I like the rain. Sometimes if I'm feeling bad and it's sunny out, I feel worse because Mm -hmm. I'm like, at least if it's rainy or it's dark or it's gray, it sort of matches my mood. But maybe, I don't know, do you feel like you have it? I unfortunately do believe I have it uh-huh. strong and heavy. Um, I mean, not not terrible, but I do believe when it gets dark earlier, it kicks in immediately where I start to feel lower energy mm. and I start to gorge on bad food and just feel a little bit like bleh. Um, I do want to learn more about it. Me too. How to harness it, what it is, et cetera, et cetera. So today we have with us Dr. David Klemanski. He's a psychologist and professor of psychiatry at Yale University. Let's do this thing. David, thank you so much for being here today to help us figure out how to be less miserable this winter. Sure. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. (laughs) Wonderful. All right. Let's start at the very beginning because a lot of us are not totally sure. We hear this term seasonal depression or seasonal affective disorder all the time. What does it actually mean? What does it entail? Yeah. So seasonal affective disorder, it's really one of those things that is sort of named kind of funny because not everyone understands what it is. But to just bring it down to sort of a very basic level, affective really refers to the way that we function. So whether we're depressed or whether we're sort of feeling too good, right? If our mood gets too high or something like that. So seasonal affective disorder can essentially be a subcomponent of major depressive disorder or a subcomponent of a bipolar disorder, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a subtype of those if you look at it that way. 
And what it really entails is that during a certain season of the year, and it could be sort of fall, winter, or it could even be spring, summer, which mm -hmm. we can talk about as an anomaly in some ways, um, that people sort of get this characteristic way of feeling either down or elevated mood, essentially. So I think what we're really focusing on today, from my understanding, is that really just sort of thinking about the when people get the down mood, right? The depressed yes. mood or the grade sadness. Um, and people are experiencing that usually, you know, very, very reliably on an annual basis during the same seasons, essentially over time. So it's really this idea that during a certain seasonal period, again, whether it's fall or winter, that you might get these symptoms of feeling down, depressed, maybe tired, sleeping too much, maybe eating too much, but it will go away once those seasons change. And so we're looking for that sort of characteristic pattern over time. I guess my first question is, is this a real thing? I was reading some research and there were some people saying like, actually, we've done some studies and we can't actually make a correlation between this or a connection between this. And other people are like, absolutely not. It's definitely a real thing. Where do you stand on that? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's a great question because I think with any of these disorders that we talk about, they're sort of subject to revision, you know, after we learn more and more and more, right? What we know now, and even where I stand is that this is a very real phenomenon. We have research that shows that when people live in certain areas of the U.S. or even different parts of the world, that there's sort of this reliable depression that can come on in the winter months and that we see evidence that people change in their functioning, right, when, when we have these different changes in seasons for the most part. So there's something real going on. However we sort of label it, what we want to call it, you know, I think seasonal affective may be a good sort of catch-all sort of term, but it's really where something's changing fundamentally in the way that the person is, is experiencing their day-to-day -day life. Um, so we do see that it's real in, in some levels, and it's happening for pretty widely, you know, in, in different parts of the world, but also across the U.S., around 5 to 6% of people could have this in any given year. That's around 13 million adults, right, of any given year. So it's a lot of people that are experiencing something. So I do think there's a reality basis to it. The general perception, or at least the way I talk about it really vocally, is like just feeling sad, having the blues and, and things like that when it starts to get dark really early. But yes. from what I'm reading, there the kind of symptoms vary a lot. Like some people eat a lot more carbs. Some people want to sleep more. Can you tell yes. me about how this shows up in different people? Oh, is it like carbs carb specifically? I mean, I read that in a study, actually. And then I also looked at my own life and the amount of pizza I have <laughs> consumed in the past couple of weeks. Like, I believe that's very real. Okay. Yeah, no, that's it. I, I'm sure that there's a real basis to that as well, of course. If you think about just what we do to prepare for winter from a biological standpoint, right? We <laughs> yeah. want to sort of fatten up, eat more carbs, do that kind of stuff. So maybe there's that component of it as well. Um, but really, the symptoms can range in, in a pretty wide way. Um, again, being a subtype of major depressive disorder, there's nine different symptoms for a diagnosis of major depressive disorder, five of which are required, right? And so when someone might have a seasonal type of major depressive disorder, we're looking for a wide range. So it could be just sad mood, could be sort of this loss of interest or pleasure in things that someone used to enjoy. Mm -hmm. It could be eating more. It could be eating less. Just depends, right? Um, we often see that one of the bigger symptoms in seasonal affective disorder is just sleeping too much or maybe sleeping more than yes. the person might like. Yes. Yeah. That's a um, big one for me. I, I wake yeah. up a full hour and a half later in the winter than I do in the summer and spring. Mm. That's fair. And and that's one of the things that can get in the way of people actually feeling better sometimes. So we'll talk about that probably in a little bit, I'm guessing. But yeah. Um, also, energy can deplete, right? People can just feel more tired, fatigued. They're going through their day, but it's just sort of like it's a it's a bigger burden on them to try and get through it, essentially. Um, on the more severe end, people can feel worthless, 
they can feel suicidal. They can feel, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like that they just don't want to cope with it or live with it anymore, too. So, again, that's probably a little bit uh, rarer, but it still can happen in some people with seasonal affective depression. David, is this directly connected to the amount of sunlight or the length of the day? Or is it just coincidental that this is happening during that time? Is there a specific connection there. You're onto something with the sunlight. I think one thing that we see is that when people, when they have less sunlight during the day, uh, they just sort of get a little bit more sort of like, I need more time outside or I need more time to do things, right? Especially on the East Coast, our days are pretty short, especially if you don't get up. You know, if you get it up an hour and a half later, like Raj is saying, it can be a pretty short duration of sunlight that you receive. The idea though is when you have sunlight or sort of light that mimics sun, it inhibits melatonin, right? And so melatonin is what helps you sleep at night. So when you don't have enough light during the day, you're getting more melatonin, you're feeling sleepier and sort of you might succumb to just wanting to sleep more for the most part. Uh, So light can be implicated in this, of course, it's one way. And so when people maybe sleep more, they feel more depressed, it can just sort of spiral and become a little bit harder for them to to function the way that they might. But there's some other causes too. There's some hot debates around genetics. So Mm -hmm. is this, you know, is it, are we predisposed because our parents or our grandparents might've suffered from this from a genetic standpoint? Um, And there's also this idea around like sort of serotonin, right? Do we have enough happening in our body? And so do we have enough serotonin and this neurotransmitter in our brain to help us feel good when we need to feel good? There's this idea that when we don't get enough light during the day, we don't maybe actually have a good amount of serotonin that we need to actually feel like our mood is working in the way that we want or that we would hope. I feel really seen right now. And (laughs) this is a part of it, which we'll discuss more. I think it's really wonderful that people do experience any kind of mental illness or mental health tenderness, as I like to call it, get mm. to be more vocal about it. And and yes. this is really helpful. But the summer thing you said, I mm-hmm. read that about 10% of people who experience seasonal affective depression or disorder, for them, it happens in the summer, which is so funny because it's not then linked to light. Or is it societal? Uh, you know, some people told me that they feel like they're supposed to be having a lot of fun in the summer and they get feel pressured by that. That's exactly what it is, right? The summer days are longer. We are supposed to be outside enjoying life more, you know, and there's all these pressures from society, like you said, or even just individually driven, you know, pressures. Like I should be not so lazy and want to lay on the couch and watch a movie when it's beautiful outside. So I think there is a part of that, right? And I think that can certainly pop up. So it has less to do with light then. And again, people are trying to study this because it really makes sense when we think about how light affects us during the fall and winter, but they're like, well, gee, what does this do in the summer? And so they're trying to think about like, what might be the cause there? Again, there could be a genetic cause, there could be a serotonin cause, but again, it can also be sort of this cognitive thing where we just have all this like internal pressure uh, or external pressure. So David, do you ever see this present differently based on people's demographics, like age demographic or gender expression? Do people experience these symptoms differently? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you guys are asking really great questions, of course. But, <laughs> That's our um, job. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but with uh, with the demographic, we do see that you know typically people who are eighteen to twenty and older will will get seasonal affective depression. It's less common in kids and adolescents. Um, Why that's the case, again, there's not a really clear consensus, but the idea there is that we have a very low rate if if it's even identifiable in sort of anyone under 18 to 20. So we'll typically look for it in adults. And then we also see a greater um, rate of, of seasonal affective in women compared to men. And so I think in some ways that that's a good way to think about that there might be a gender disparity 
On the other hand, though, it just may be that women are more apt to report their symptoms. Totally. Than, right? Right? Totally. Or maybe more apt to go to therapy than men. And I'm speaking very sort of generally, right? Like some men are very in tune with their symptoms and want to want to get treatment. But in general, we see that women are a little bit more apt to discuss their emotional experiences, um, or at least to be able to present them or report in those symptoms, which would give them sort of a greater diagnostic, you know, group picture. Um, whereas we may not see that as much in men. So they're very well may be equal, but right now literature is telling us that women uh, have a greater incidence of it. Yeah. I was actually just talking about how I woke up so sluggish this morning, but when I went outside to come to the podcast studio, the sun like recharged my soul. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, but it's hard if you're feeling sluggish, it's hard to go outside. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's getting over that hump, right? It's just like that, that initial, like you've got to get yourself going. And once you do, I think people see the benefit, they feel better, but really getting to that point is the really hard part. So when we try to help people get through that, we really do want to focus on like, what can we do to get you out of the house? What can we do to get you some fresh sunlight? What can we do to help you feel encouraged and motivated to, to sort of do something that will be useful? David, what do you think the first step is? If you think that you are suffering from this or struggling with this, what's the very first step in terms of getting better. Raj probably has heard me say this more often than not, but don't self-diagnose, I think is the very first step. Right? <laughs> okay. like, talk to someone, get, you know, get some professional perspective. And that's not because, you know, we don't think people can handle sort of understanding the symptoms and making an informed decision around themselves, but there could be other things going on too, right? Like it might sound a lot like seasonal affective, but you could have something biological going on. There could be mm -hmm. thyroid problems that sort of mimic some of these mood states, stuff like that. You also might have another form of depression that maybe a professional could appreciate slightly differently than, than you know, sort of in a way that you think about your own symptoms. So first step, which I, I know you weren't necessarily asking for this, but I think just first step is don't diagnose. I think, um, let me just say that that's great too, sure. because Raj and I are definitely not doctors and <laughs> anyone listening to this should always, you know, be talking to a medical professional about anything having to do with their own mental health or physical health. Yeah. And I love self-diagnosing stuff, but I, <laughs> I, I know when I'm doing it right. and I know when it's time to drag my eyes into a clinician and yeah. be like, is this really happening? Right. Yeah. yeah. With Dr. Google out there, right. We can all sort of look our <laughs> symptoms up and we can see what we're going, you know, what's going on. And I think it's fair to go into your, into your doctor to say, I have an informed thought around totally. what my symptoms are. Want to get your take on it. Right. So yeah. I, I'm all on board. I, I just sort of, I worry when I see TikTok videos of people saying, Hey, I've got X, Y, and Z. And like, it's not really well informed, but really thinking about how your symptoms really present and maybe cohere together during certain times of the year, I think it's a great conversation after your doctor. So I think to your, to your question, Noah, it's really thinking about like, how do you want to get help, right? Like, is this something that's really critical for you? Do you need some professional help where it might be good to think about medications, therapy, stuff like that? Or do you need to find other ways to sort of intervene in your day, maybe have more structure, more more targeted time towards hobbies or self-care, prior, prioritizing yourself, right? So I think it really depends on where the person is sitting with this. Are they... Are they feeling like this is out of control and I need some help or I've got this, I'm not feeling great, but I just want to sort of tackle this in a really sort of um, protracted way where I look at different things that could help change my day or change my mood over mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's start when we're talking about treating whatever level on the spectrum you are, say you get a diagnosis, whether it's like mild or more severe. A lot of physicians will talk about vitamin D and how so many of us are, you know, lacking it and should we take a supplement, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts about vitamin D and the wintertime? Yeah, there's there's a connection between vitamin D. There's been some studies that have looked at the implications of vitamin D deficiency in seasonal affective. And I think it's 
again, like many things, unfortunately, there's some science saying yes, and there's some science saying no, right? right. So yeah. I do think that we find a lot of people become deficient during the winter months. And it's a great thing to just say to your doctor when you're seeing them, can I get some labs on my vitamin D, right? Just to mm-hmm. get those levels checked. Um, because, you know, you don't want people wrongly supplementing and sort of taking too much of something and you totally. don't want people not having enough. But I think when there is a deficiency, it's certainly worth talking about in terms of getting back on track with the right levels, because vitamin D is implicated in serotonin and the way that we have the you know serotonin in our brains and in our guts to help us with our mood and stuff like that. So it's absolutely important that people recognize um, it's worth checking out. And when there might be sort of a, a depletion of vitamin D or if you're not getting enough in the winter months, supplement with your doctor. I think when most people think about this topic, they think about those lamps, right? The lamps mm-hmm. that yes. you can buy that help. But I was reading before we started this that actually the lamps do work, but there are a lot of lamps that don't work. I saw one study that said they looked at 24 of these um, SAD lamps and only seven of them actually had what needed to be there to be useful. So talk to us about these lamps and if we're going to get one, what we should be looking for. And anything you have to say about light therapy in general. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Again, light therapy is great. I'll just, I'll give the reason behind it too. If I think I've already sort of alluded to it, but the idea there is that again, when it's dark and we don't have enough daylight, we're sort of getting a little bit more melatonin, which is making us sleepier, right? When we can do the light therapy, it's really helpful to inhibit the melatonin essentially so that we don't get sleepy. A lot of bright light therapies are, are, found to be most effective when the person might use it for around 20 minutes a day um, in the morning, right? And so during the bright light therapy, you're sort of not looking directly into the light the whole time, but you're going to be in a room where the bright light is there and that you might you might sort of make con- eye contact with about once a minute is the idea around it, right? And, and that's really helping, again, to inhibit the melatonin, get people sort of maybe alert, increase their alertness um, and help them just sort of get started with their day for the most part. There's some great evidence in the literature that shows that it helps. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, they have some ideas, they have some thoughts, but it does help. It can take around one to two weeks to actually show any effect, but it can be helpful if the person's consistent with it. One of the things that I found in talking to patients, again, this is anecdotal, but they say, I've done the light therapy, and then they discontinue it when they start feeling better. <laughs> Keep going, right? Like you gotta, yeah. it's something you probably gotta do all winter, and it's something that you wanna you wanna take into account. Um, but it's great. The other thing that I would say is, you know, back to your to your point about the studies, Noah, there are all kinds of lights out there and some are going to, you know, it's, they're not all equal, I should say. Some are going to be great. Some aren't going to be great. You're looking for a certain light intensity. And so you want to find like bright lights that have a good intensity, but also block out UVs that don't have actually, you know, sort of a good UV filter that don't have uh, UV rays coming in because that would be harmful to you uh, on another level. Um, but the idea there is that if you get a bright enough light and these are pretty bright, it's going to shift the way that you sort of see the room, um, but it's going to help out quite a bit essentially. So that when people engage in the bright light therapy, um, we do see that they increase their functioning. They're less tired. They're less fatigued throughout the day. It doesn't necessarily take care of the depression completely, but it's targeting specific symptoms. Uh, so it's really helpful in that regard. And just to be clear, like this is not just sitting in front of any light, like a lamp in your right. room. These are specific lights that people need to purchase to have this work. Exactly. Yep. There's some reputable companies out there that sell lights that do work, but you're hundred percent right. It's not any light. So I wouldn't want some listener to take their desk lamp and just sort right. of shine the, it's <laughs> right. not going to work. Right. You need, it's, it's called bright light there because you really want to get that brightness that, that it, it brings out like sort of like a daylight or mimics the daylight. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. Raj, I've got a question that I've been asking myself a lot recently. Tell me. Am I investing wrong? Ooh, I see what you did there. But I'm sincerely asking because look, I have investments, I have an account here, a 401k there, and I'm really lucky I don't have any crushing debt. But until recently, I haven't had the confidence that I've been doing it right. I know what you mean. We all want to make sure we're making good financial decisions, not just doing whatever Susie Orman told us to do 10 years ago. (laughs) Exactly. But that's why I've been using Yahoo Finance. Tell me more about it. Well, with Yahoo Finance, I've been able to consolidate all of my accounts into one place. And I got to tell you something. It's been so much easier. Okay, Yahoo Finance. It's giving nostalgia. Absolutely. You know, I found Yahoo Finance to be incredibly helpful for tracking everything I need with all of my money. And as you probably know at this point, I'm quite wealthy. I know, spiritually and literally. I am not a wealthy one percenter yet. So would the service be good for me still? Oh, 100%. Yahoo Finance is good for everyone, from the very seasoned investor or just a normie like you who's looking for a little extra guidance. It gives you all the tools and info you need. So if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like Yahoo Finance will give me a holistic look at the financial news cycle, original editorial perspectives, and so much more. That's exactly right. And let's just say Yahoo Finance is going to be the perfect place to link all your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. Hell yeah. I cannot wait to make it rain with the help of Yahoo Finance. (laughs) So for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. yahoofinance.com. Once again, that's yahoofinance.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So Raj, tell me, how is your social battery right now? You know, today it's pretty high and vibrant, but it varies day to day. That makes total sense because it's super easy to ignore our social battery and spread ourselves too thin, especially with social gatherings picking up after the winter. Truly. Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. For me, therapy has been illuminating. Just to be able to process day-to-day anxieties has helped me so much. I kind of wish that for everyone. Well, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. And it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash doing it wrong today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash doing it wrong. Welcome back to Am I Doing It Wrong? So I have one of those sad lamps. I have to say that I feel better when I'm consistently using it. And I don't know if it's the science or if 
I'm going to get like a little, you know, touchy feely for a minute that there's a sign that I really love myself. I'm really taking care of myself. Like when I'm pushing myself to go to the gym, when I'm eating better, when I have the light on my desk, I feel like, damn Raj, you really are taking care of yourself. And I feel better just from that. Is that what's happening in my head? Am I a narcissist? No, no, (laughs) that's exactly right. I think there's one, there's this real effect that the light gives you and sort of helps, you know, work with your circadian rhythms and helps sort of get you back on track with melatonin sleep, all that stuff, right? The other side of it is exactly what you just said. People are doing something that's really instrumental to their health and they're they're doing something that's going to help them feel better. And so I also think what you just said is really important to highlight. It may not just be light therapy, but it's actually having a schedule. Mm. It's exercising. Mm -hmm. It's taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself, eating healthy, right? Um, recognizing that there might be off days and that there's going to be really great days, but just sort of having that sort of self-agency to think about how I can move forward and really take care of myself. It's huge. Right. And I think it's a really important effect that that comes from it as well. Yeah. So much of what we talk about in this show in general, I'm always shocked by how often it comes up. It's just like the holistic approach to living your life is going to make your life better. And so often if you are taking care of yourself in all these different ways, like the sum of it is going to be good for you. Yeah, yeah, I think so, for sure. And also that acceptance of if you have a shitty day, you're having a shitty day. And Completely. it's okay, you're not a bad person. No. Yeah. Um, what types of therapies are out there for SAD specifically? Sure. Yeah. So it's it's it can be it can range from the traditional therapies that we know about. Again, talk therapy where you could meet with the psychologist for a couple of sessions or or more than a couple, of course. Um, you could even look at an antidepressant, especially mm-hmm. if you reliably know that it's going to come up every season. You might start taking it a little bit earlier than when it comes up so that you can target the mood and sort of just, you know, then wean off of it when when the mood is, is getting back to regulated in the off season. Um, you know, bright light therapy, of course, is something to consider again with your doctor, but it's, it's another great way to do it. Uh, vitamin D supplementation with your doctor is another great way to do it. Um, but I also think if we can go back just to, our, to your previous comments, mm-hmm. it's also thinking about how to really structure your life. I I sort of liken it when I'm talking to patients about like, if you had a pet, you would do everything you could probably to take care of them, right? You want to make sure you're eating at the right times, getting sleep, sort of just being well-groomed, all that stuff. I think we, we pay attention to pets and kids quite a bit to make sure that their life is really set up in a nice way so they can thrive. Sometimes we do that at our self expense, right? Mm. So it's thinking about, do I eat at the right times? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting exercise or at least time outdoors? Do I have hobbies that I can focus on? Do I have friends and family that can support me? So I really think beyond the traditional treatments that I referenced, it's also thinking about maybe doing an audit of what's going on in your life and how can you maybe just tweak things a little bit, right? To sort of just bring yourself back on track in a way that's useful uh, and gives you an optimal way to function. Yeah. I want to talk about antidepressants a little more because I do think there is still a stigma. How many, if you get on one and you know, there are different kinds, how many, how much time does it usually take to start to feel better? Yeah. It can take around four to six weeks, which is why people sometimes abandon them prematurely, right? Totally. I'm not feeling better. I've been doing this for four weeks, but it really is a, it's a conversation that hopefully most of the doctors are having with their patients out there that this is going to take some time and we need to, we need to allow that time to see when your mood might change. People might get an earlier effect, who knows, right? But generally four to six weeks is a good amount of time. I have to ask about this one two things that are a big part of my life, weed and alcohol. So, you know, for those of us who like a little nightcap and, you know, a little herbal refreshment, how might we want to change that routine in our lives if we know that we experience, you know, the blues when it gets dark early? Fair question, yeah. And I think it's great that you're bringing it up because, again, 
those are things that people sometimes want to hide, right? Like I, yeah. you know, like I use edibles or I might use marijuana or I might use alcohol to my advantage uh, and not want to talk about it with people. But I think it's really great to have that conversation again with your doctor, maybe with your loved ones, however it might be impacting you. The one thing about alcohol is it's a depressant, right? Yeah. So it's probably not going to help you. Um, it might help in the very short term where it gives you that buzz, helps you feel better, but it probably will not help in the long term. And so that's something to really be considered. Um, on the other side, marijuana, especially, um, you know, the sort of resurgence of it with all it being legalized in different states, we're seeing people try it in different ways, which I think is really interesting and really neat how people might use it for sleep or they might use it to sort of adjust their mood. I, I, I think there's some caution advised. I have nothing against, you know, these drugs or anything like that, but there's caution advised when you might have depression or even seasonal depression just because we don't know if it's making you sleepier. Maybe it's yeah. sort of feeding into that sleeping too much kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's making you eat more than you might want and stuff. So it's not that it's contra contraindicated, but it also could be something that it's it's worth sort of saying, hey, should I back off on some of this stuff? Is it doing me more harm than good when I'm depressed? Whereas it works really well during the other months, but maybe not right now. Or maybe it's a maybe it's helping. Um, but if it's certainly a way of coping, I think we could look at some other strategies too that we could add or augment uh, throughout that. Totally. Maybe a jog yeah. with a martini yeah. in hand. It seems I like, like it. <laughs> and also all of these things are just maybe smart for people in general to do. I was telling yeah. Raj earlier, David, I don't know that I actually experience sad. And but like everything that you're saying just makes sense for me in the winter. Like take an audit of my life, see what I'm doing, yeah. think about how these alcohol and weed are affecting me get be more active. Like just in general, if someone's listening and they're like, I don't think I feel more depressed in the winter. These are still good things to do. Totally. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'll just elaborate too. I don't Please. necessarily think I have social or sorry, seasonal affective disorder, but I do get really irritated when it's like dark out at three 30 on a rainy day. <laughs> yes, right? like yeah. My mood shifts. I noticed it. I'm like kind of mad about the, the time change or the clock change uh, that happens in the fall. And it gets so dark so early and you're like, man, like night just comes early and we sort of, we sort of get maybe more into our night routine. So I can also see why it happens for people. I mm -hmm. feel lucky that it doesn't necessarily bother me sure. in the same way. But I can also feel the negativity creep in sometimes. Like I think this last weekend we had a pretty rainy weekend on on one of the days, and it just was like dark at like three o'clock. And I was like, man, this is kind of depressing. Not classically depressing, but enough that it just sort of shifted my day a tiny bit, right? Yeah, sure, completely. Again, I'm speaking from the perspective of people who do believe they have it. What if you just try to power through, quote unquote, and you're like, it'll be spring soon, and you don't really change your routine that much? I mean, is it just is it going to get shittier? <laughs> it could. Uh, I think, again, it's going to differ for each individual, but I think powering through uh, is not necessary. But if, if that's what you want to do, then mm -hmm. by all means, go for it. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are some other ways that you don't have to power through on your own. Again, thinking about family support or just talking to people that might also have it or just sort of being aware of like, what could I change even a tiny bit to get on track in a way that is useful for me? I think the threshold that I would encourage people to think about is how much is it impacting my functioning and how distressed totally. am I by it, right? So mm -hmm. like if my functioning is off, if I'm showing up to work an hour and a half late and sort of jeopardizing my job, or maybe I'm not getting the kids ready for school on time, whatever it might be, right? Or the, the pets need feeding and I'm, I'm missing those. I, I think when we see functioning really being impacted, that's probably a good clue that you might not want to power through it and that you could use some help. Um, also, if you're very distressed by it, again, like a subjective feeling of, of being distressed, I think it's worth just sort of seeing what options are out there for that person. Like, who could I talk to? Maybe is there a medication I could try? Um, you know, is there maybe some self-help guidebook online just to look at my mood and sort of make sure I'm monitoring it? So whatever it might be, 
try it. But again, if you want to power through, go for it. Maybe just look for someone that can give you feedback and be like, Hey, things seem rougher than they have been for you. Just want to give you that, that sort of check-in or that cross-check to make sure that, um, you know, you're, you're sort of feeling like you can do this on your own. And if you do it great, but it might get, it might get harder to deal with. It might get a little bit difficult. Um, if you power through it, because I think mood can be pretty unpredictable and things happen. Life happens, right? It comes at you pretty fast. We've got the holidays that can be stressful. Yeah. It can be depressing for some, uh, can be anxiety provoking, after the holidays, it's a letdown. January, February is a pretty tough couple months, especially for people who have seasonal affective disorder. Um, not because they're sad the holidays are gone, but there's just less to look forward to. Yeah. Um, you know, so it just it becomes a little bit more of the mood can dampen. So powering through could be a, a decent approach as long as you're comfortable with it, but also recognizing that when you might need the help from a functional or a distressing perspective, grab it when you can, get that help when you can. The other thing I like to do in the winter, because yeah, I love, I love basically November, December. Like there's so much so to do. Great. It's yeah. so great, especially in New York. It's beautiful. Um, but then after January 1st, yeah, you hit a wall. Yeah. I like yes. to make sure I have things in January and February just to look forward to. Talk about Whether it. Whether it's like going to have a friend's weekend somewhere, even if it's not somewhere, even if it's like in Chicago where it's going to be gray and gross too. Mm -hmm. I have really good friends there. So I'll just go and hang out with them. Or if it's going to see more concerts or just getting out more, I feel like yes. having these things that sort of pull you through those months, that's what keeps me going. I have to add to that. Um, my therapist told me, because he knows that I get a little blue every, t like around this time of year. He said, if you can afford one vacation, take it in February. Mm -hmm. Take it in January. Just one. If you can afford one, don't do it in July. I love that. And I have changed my life. I'm going to Jamaica on January 20th. Yeah, you it's are. It's my one, <laughs> my one vacation. And I'm so excited about it. And that luckily has sun, but it's really anything. It's what you're talking about. Anything, anything that brings you joy, It's right? a movie that's coming out. It's yeah. like, you know, making a good dinner. It can be any of these things, but I like to have something on my calendar every week that I can't wait for that to happen. And it makes life so much better, I think. Your thoughts? I think to something, right? I've yeah. seen that convention of wisdom. If you can afford the vacation, take it in that time. I think it's so great you're going to Jamaica. I'm a little jealous, to be I'm honest. So I, think I could always use that warm time. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it, I think it's awesome. And I think, you know, even Chicago, like you said, like wherever you go, like if it brings you joy, is what I heard you say, Raj. And I think that's mm -hmm. such an important thing, right? Really focusing on something that can be exciting. So if you can't afford Jamaica or Chicago, you know, travel, maybe you can just like plan a special dinner or a special weekend for you and your loved ones or yeah. something like that, right? Like a mini home vacation, or maybe you get out and do something that you've always wanted to do in your city, but you haven't made the time. So it can be really purposeful and intentional to do that. And I think that's exactly what we talk about. It's just thinking about how do I give something to myself to really think about like something I can look forward to, something I can really just enjoy. And that I have some really excitement about, even, even if you're in this depressive kind of mood that you've got some pleasure uh, to look forward to. I think it can be useful. Yeah. I, I also kind of schedule my like cooking intensive time in the winter because yeah. I, you know, you're feeling, you can kind of embrace like the nesting side of it and be like, I'm going to make this thing that I've seen on TikTok. And just like, that's really joyful for me. And I remember too, when we talked to Renee, who is the therapist during our anxiety episode, he talked about this thing that you can Google called the big list of pleasurable activities. Yeah, And he said, when you're feeling anxiety or you're feeling depressed, a lot of times doing a pleasurable activity, even if that's like doing the crossword puzzle with your friend on yeah. Sunday morning, those things can pull you out of those states of anxiety. Um, and so I love this. It's all sort of linking up, right? Like there's, there are ways that we can feel better, whether it's due to the time of year or it's just because we're anxious in general, there are, there are tools totally. that we can use to help us. Mm -hmm.
I love that you said that. It was literally my next tip. And I was trying to find a good website to recommend. But yet you're right. If you Google like 100 positive events or something, it gives you all kinds of ideas. I, I would think anyone could find at least one thing off there, right? So like it could be just like taking a nice warm bath, could be doing a crossword, like you said. It could be just sort of reading an article or a book that you've been putting off for a while. I think it's just really great to think about, again, self-care. One of the things, though, with depression, so I don't want people to feel bad about themselves, right? One of the things with depression is you might lose interest or pleasure in things that you used to enjoy, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it might be hard to find those pleasurable events. And so you might have to dig a little bit deeper, but hopefully the person can find something that will just bring them some pleasure or joy in those moments, right? If you can't find that, then again, it might be worth talking about with somebody, but it can be a really great way just to interrupt kind of a crummy mood or sort of like a negative mood that someone might be having. Or if you're just not feeling it and you're sort of having a really rough day, it might not be bad to look at that list and just be like, what can I do right now to change my mood just for the next few seconds? I think it can be a really great intervention. And I love that too, because again, like you might not be able to shift your entire point of view, or you might not be able to vanquish your depression because that's not how depression works. But even if you can string together these moments of joy or pleasure for however long you can, like that seems like a win too. Exactly. And I don't, I don't, I know Raj and I have talked about mindfulness. No, I don't know if you're into mindfulness Mm. or meditation at all. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think it's also another great thing to do when people are sort of when their moods are either elevated or too anxious or when they're when their moods are really low, because if you practice mindfulness throughout the year in the summer months, say, for example, and you're really learning to pay attention to what you want to pay attention to, you've trained your brain to do it on purpose, like really intentionally. Right. And I think that that can be a really useful skill that when people are depressed and they have those negative thoughts creeping in or the or the thoughts where I just want to stay in bed all day. Today's going to be crummy anyway, that kind of thing. You can actually train your brain to think about it. How do we get over that hump, you know, to get outside? How do we get out and do things that will keep me active, keep me engaged, get some sunlight, stuff like that. So I think mindfulness can be a good antidote to it. It's not a cure-all, but I think it's it's a great way to really think about how do I train myself to do something when I probably don't want to do it. Yeah. One more tool. I mean, I was going to ask you sort of like my final question for you is like, what's the number one thing you would recommend for someone dealing with SAD? But it seems like, and I'll let you answer that, but like, it seems like it's like, it's not one thing. Maybe the lamp therapy is going to help you. Maybe it's talking to a therapist. Maybe it's antidepressants. Maybe it's having something to look forward to, but maybe it's all of these things. So how would you respond to that? Yeah, yeah I 100% agree with you. It's probably not one thing. I will give, I will give you one thing just to sort Great. of say that mm-hmm. might be a place to start, but I think you've made a really, really critical point, right? That what might work for Raj or you, Noah, or me might not work for others. And Mm. so really being flexible in our approach and realizing that we didn't fail just because something didn't work, but like, it's definitely worth trying something different or pivoting to the right, you know, sort of thing that will be useful. So I think you've made a really great point. Therapy could work for some medications might work for others, a combination of therapy, medication, mindfulness, pleasurable events, right? It might all work together. The one thing I would say, though, if I had to be pinpointed to one thing, the number one thing that can help sort of modify our moods in the moment or even just sort of long-term mental illness is having a good support network. So Mm -hmm. if you know that fall is a really tough time, who can you rely on for support? Who can you sort of go to if you want to vent? Who's going to help you get out of that funk when you might be in it? You know, who can sort of say, hey, your depression's creeping in. We've noticed it. Maybe you haven't. You know, let's see how we can help you. But I think support, whether it's your chosen family, your real family, whatever it might be, right, or your friend's whatever you can get from like a support network, I think it's a really great way to start to modify that even slightly and then can get you in those different directions to help you out when it's needed. Community is literally everything. And this like leads into what was going to be my last question. I mean, this has become, I've focused on this so much in the last few years because I am unfortunately aging, but like (laughs) 
How do we be supportive of someone that's going through anxiety or SAD or anything like that? I want to know how to be a better friend to someone who is going through it. Love that. Yeah, I think it's great. I think really being proactive and checking in with them. You don't have to say, hey, how's your anxiety or how's your depression, right? But just like, how are you doing? And not the not the sort of superficial that we, you know, when we see people down the street say, hey, how, how are you? We're always like, good, yeah. you know, it's sort of the thing that we say. But really just checking in with friends, maybe texting them randomly in a month or sort of just giving them a quick call if they're up to that, right? Or just, just asking, like, again, genuinely what you can do to support them if there's anything, anything I can do for you, right? So I think it's a great way to be a friend to somebody. Also, if the anxiety or depression or whatever might be going on for them is named, it may not be bad just to say, how's that going for you, right? I know it can be tough and just validating their experience because even if we're not depressed, even if we're not anxious, we can probably appreciate how hard it is to struggle through that, especially if they're powering through on their own. So helping helping them feel comfortable just to have someone that they can actually sort of maybe get things to things out to or just to talk it through, I think can be a really useful way to, to support others. I have this game that I play called um, Text Roulette. Mm-hmm. And I will just go to my text messages and I will scroll back three to six months and look for a friend that I haven't talked to since that time. Um, because I have my core group of friends that I text with every day or every totally. week. But there are friends that I love that I just haven't checked in with. And yeah. I will pick someone and just say, hey, how are you? I've been thinking of you. What's going on. That's and I have friends who do that to me too. And like, it does make me feel better. It helps. It really does. And so I think sometimes just picking one of those people on your texts or in your friend, your Facebook messenger or something and just being like, oh, I've, I've been thinking of you. It's been a while. What's going on? Yeah. That's a, a huge thing. And it's a little thing. And just to add to that, I was telling Noah before the podcast that during the height of the pandemic, the thing I missed the most was talking to strangers. And I find a thing that immediately picks me up is like, if you like someone's shoes on the street, hey, I love your shoes. You're wearing the hell out of that sweater. Like giving someone a compliment somehow, is this like, is there anything to this? Because it always makes me feel really warm in my heart. Yeah, I don't know if there's any science behind it, but I I think there's some, I don't know, like I was thinking like text roulette is really awesome. I love that. I love that idea. But also just like these random compliments. Both those things, I think, would just bring a smile to my face, like when they've happened to me. Right. And they just instantly change. And it's so so nice to think about someone was thinking about me, even if it's a passerby or a stranger. They like my shoes or they like my coat. It actually gives me a good, you know, sort of feeling inside. And I think that can go a long way. So it's low risk on on the person who's offering it, but really sort of high yield for the person who's receiving it. Mm-hmm. It's just awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love that you guys are both doing that. Uh, it makes me think I need to be a lot more intentional. I was just thinking about a text that I got from a friend that I hadn't heard from in a while, but I was just like, it was so cool to connect and I'm glad he reached out. Right. And so it just, it does, it can change things for people and we never know what they're going through at any given time. So it's nice to give that really quick, uplifting compliment check-in or whatever it might be. So Amen. you guys are on the right track. That's awesome. I think you're doing your part too, David. I, I do. <laughs> I think like running this entire situation and really helping people understand how um, mental illness manifests and how we can feel better that you're doing a little something. Don't worry. Yeah. Fair enough. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks so much for for being here with us, David. I feel like I learned a ton. I did too. And I feel better right now. Me too. Good. Yeah. I love meeting I love meeting you, Noah. And again, Raj, it's nice to see you in person. I think we've done a lot of a lot of phone yeah. over the years and stuff like that. But it's really great to connect again. So thank you so much. Now it's time for better in five. These are your top five takeaways from this episode. All right. Number one, seasonal affective disorder is a real thing. So if you think you might have it, go and talk to a doctor. Uh, Don't try to (laughs) (laughs) self-treat. Number two, there are lots of different ways to help you feel better. And it might include a combination of several different tools. So try a few, be consistent and see how you feel. 
All right, number three, light therapy has been proven to be a powerful coping tool, but you do need a certain type of lamp. So don't just like stare into the fluorescence at your office and hope for the best. (laughs) Number four, your best bet for dealing with sad is a holistic approach. Take an audit of your life and look for places where you can make some improvements. And number five, last but definitely not least, try to foster a powerful sense of community. The support system is going to be really important to helping you feel better. Okay, Raj, are you feeling differently about sad now that we talked to David? I definitely do. Uh, I feel a lot more empowered with all those coping mechanisms that I can put in place. I feel like I don't have to be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh until like (laughs) spring. Like there's hope for me. Um, What about you? Do you feel like you still don't experience any of these symptoms, you unicorn? I don't think that someone would diagnose me with sad, Uh but I definitely do feel that. And and like I was saying, when we get to January, February, I feel like it's a slog and sometimes I just have to get through. So I loved what he was saying about, yeah, lean into the pleasurable things, find things to look forward to, and also find out where your crew is at and make sure you're leaning on them too, because those are the people who are going to get you through it. Crew love. Absolutely. And like you said, I think even if you don't have it at all, just like getting happier is really helpful. Always, I'm never going to say no to getting happier. Mm -mm. Anyway, until next time, as long as there are things to get wrong, we're going to be right here to help you do them better. Feel better, y'all. Do you have something you think you're doing wrong? Email us at amidoingitwrong at huffpost.com and let us know. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com